Hello and welcome to the Tool Assisted Podcast. This is your host, The 8-Bit Beast, and today is the 16th of March, 2019. Today we're talking about DK64 with Matt, also known as Ringrush, and Tom, also known as the Balam 96 So, Matt, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I've been speedrunning a long time. <laughs> At this point, it's been, uh, I think I started way back in... 2006 uh, at the Sonic Center, which is a site for Sonic ILs, and, and I guess a bit of Melee break the targets before that. But um, I found a video of I think it was F-Man doing a speedrun of Pyramid Cave and it was so crazy looking that I just decided to I want to try some of this. And I guess the rest is history. I just have been doing so many games ever since and i always jump around between basically sonic games and non-sonic games 50 50 but yeah in 2009 ish i was on the sda forums and a bunch of stuff was happening in dk64 and it was super exciting because that was like the first time i was actually around for the start of a game actually becoming broken and supposed to just taking what people had already done and so i was messing around with it a bit I found a few glitches in it and contributed to it a bit. And then circa maybe a few years later, I actually decided to start picking it up as an RTA, which was, this was the first game I had ever RTA'd. Um, before that, I was much of a segmented runner and an IL runner. But this game was weird in that you can't really do a segmented run because of autosaves. So with that in mind, I had to do essentially a single segment and i wanted to do a run that included a trick called aztec early which we'll maybe talk about later and the only way to do it was through rta rule set which allows resets because otherwise the game will crash if you try to use that route so that became a thing i started streaming this game on twitch and almost against my will i became a big dk64 person <laughs> this really wasn't like a, a big childhood game for me but it's just i happen to be at the right place at the right time and I just fell in love with how glitchy this game is. And I guess brings us to today where I'm still messing around in the game. Nice. So, yeah, you moved on to DK64 eventually. What kind of Sonic games were you playing before that? Like the older ones or the 3D new ones? Well, I was a 3D person. Um, Sonic and the Secret Rings is my forte, which is like one of my least favorite Sonic games. But it's kind of a habit for me where I... I I love the games where I can contribute significantly a lot more so than the games that I actually like. And so that was a game where I was around right when it was released and I was breaking it and I got a lot of records in it. And so it, it enticed me. But beyond that, I've done like low tads of Sonic Adventure 2, Shadow of the Hedgehog, Sonic and the Black Knight, Sonic Heroes, etc. Nice. And so you got pretty good at DK64 RTA, even had the world record at one point in that? Yeah, uh, about a three or two years, something like that period, where I was uh, the best at any percent. And really what I wanted to do is I wanted there to be a really good run showcasing all the cool glitches we found. Like that was actually one of my big motivations for speedrunning in general, is I wanted there to be a cool run that exists to showcase all the stuff we found. But along the way, I realized that RTA is not the best way to do that. And that's really what got me into TASing. Um, I think my first TAS game was Croc, actually, um, which is another childhood game of mine that uh, happened that I just decided to pick up for no real reason. And I think that uh, that is really cool to actually be able to bring the stuff to life without a bunch of mistakes, without a bunch of 
starting over from the beginning every 40 minutes, roughly. And so that's what really got me into TASing. So in general, you prefer TASing or segmented runs over RTA then? These days, it's just TASing, like segmented runs. They were nice at the time, but come on, we got save states. <laughs> nice. I still get tempted sometimes in your games where you can't do that, but I think I'll just wait till I can TAS those games. Yeah, that I understand that completely. Like, It's annoying to play new games and think, oh, I would love to break this game. But there's no emulator that would possibly run this efficiently. So, alas, mm -hmm. stuck with the classics. Yep, ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so... Oh my gosh. My history with speedrunning has been quite long and windy. So, as with a lot of people who started uh, speedrunning, or how they found speedrunning, I got suggested a YouTube video which was one of, I think it was the first uh, GDQ that was ever done, uh, the classic games done quick, or maybe it was like 2011 or something like that. And it was of a Super Mario 64 70 star run done by uh, Fox. So he was originally into Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time before he did DK. And so I thought, wow, like this game, like this is kind of fast, you know, and there were a few glitches in there. And so I thought that Okay, this guy like does a little bit of speedrunning. I'll see what else he does. So I looked him up and found that he did a lot of DK64. And so I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And he does lots of cool glitches. I kind of want to do them myself. So for the longest time, I was kind of just playing the game, but just breaking it with just, you know, ledge clipping into bosses early, skipping stuff with like going into levels early and stuff like that and so i did a little bit of speedrunning after a little while and i found out about the speedrunning leaderboards and everything like that and then because of where i live and like just <laughs> general tendency to not have the fastest version being pal uh i didn't do speedrunning much from like 2014 all the way up until 2016 and then from 2016 onwards I came back, got myself like a US console, and just did a lot of DK64, and uh, eventually branched out into like a few other games like Earthworm Jim 3D and uh, Banjo Tooie. But yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's my origin story regarding speedrunning. Nice. I find that really funny because Sea Fox basically got me into speedrunning as well, watching an AGDQ run. But uh, for me, it was actually his DK64 run a little bit later. Yeah, I didn't even realize he had a Super Mario 64 run. I did know he was into it a bit, though. Yeah, no, he used to, as I said, he used to do Super Mario 64 and O2. But no, like, after I got into DK64, I watched his, like, like the AGDQ 2013 one where he <laughs> got fake key in uh, Helm. But uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people watched that one. But... Um, yeah, no, that's how I uh, got started on speedrunning, was uh, just one YouTube suggestion. And do you remember what the first tool-assisted speedrun you saw was? Um, It was probably, like, a Super Mario 64 Zero Star one. I think it might have been, like, one of the really old ones that um, Swordless Link did back in, like, 2011 or 2012 or something like that. So I think I watched that one because... 
it was just like wow this is like <laughs> going through literally all the boss fights and just like skipping to the end of the game just with a backwards long jump glitch so I think that was my first tool assisted speedrun that I watched like the first tool assisted speedrun that got me actually into doing TASs and stuff like that was um the 101 lotad because because of how DK64 is it just <laughs> didn't emulate that well so I didn't really consider TASs all too much but when I saw the 101 lotad and just saw how broken the game was the funny thing is that like around the time that the 101 lotad was being made there was like a little poll on how quickly do you think the 101 lotad will be and i think i guess like a really like high number i think i said something like five hours 30 because i thought okay well it can't save that much time compared to rta and i just got like blown away by how fast it was and kind of just took it from there and thought yeah no i'd like to do this for myself you know Nice. And uh, to remind people, Lotad is kind of like a Taz, but less optimized, which you basically need to do for a long category, like 101 and DK being like four and a half hours. I remember when that came out as well, and uh, me and Isotage were sitting there watching it. And <laughs> like, I started off by saying, oh, yeah, it'll take five hours. But then as it kept going on i'm like no it'll take way less than that and kept lowering my estimate as it went on <laughs> it was a good time and that was by some guy i can't remember some ring rush kind of guy i think yeah 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 I can't. <laughs> <laughs> ring rush do you remember what the first taz you saw was um well first off i just want to say about that uh 101 run i had the exact same experience where <laughs> i thought it was going to be so much higher and then as I started working through it, I just, like, every few days or so, I would compute what the new estimate for the ending would be, and it would just go down and down and down. And it's, like, it's shocking. So it's not just the viewers, like, that was, it, was, it was pretty impressive how much time I ended up saving. But um, anyway, the first TS I ended up seeing, I don't know as for 100% certain, because I was involved with SDA and stuff, so I knew about TASing. But I'm pretty sure, if I had to guess, it was the one-star TAS for SM64. That was just such a popular TAS at the time, I guess, like, everyone kind of knew about it because it was so impressive. It was, it was such an example because no one, I don't even think, had done it in real time at that point. So it was really cool. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember what the first TAS I saw was, but chances are it probably was zero star or one star. <laughs> I think, funnily enough, the... Glitch the backwards long jump to get into Dardar Docks was actually found via TAS, and then like I think it was five days later they found that you could skip Dardar Docks with just a better BLJ. So I think that was actually they were tasking it and found that glitch, and then I think yeah. So <laughs> I don't think at that point anyone did it RTO. Hmm. They had a publication with one star though, which is kind of weird if it only took them five more days to go to zero star. It might not have been five days. It was something short like that. Yeah, still. Like, these days, if you had to do, you know, Fire Sea and Bowser in the Sky, it would take you, you know, significantly longer than five days to do it in a TAS. But... Standards definitely evolve over time. Like, you can certainly look at some of these old TASs and realize that there is no way they put as much effort into it as people are doing these days. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that specific one. Maybe it's just that, like, the trick got found too late into the development cycle and they just 
chug through with it because why not yeah i mean if you've been working that long on it as well you wouldn't want to go back and redo it mm-hmm. all righty so let's move on to talking about dk64 specifically so what kind of early taz work was there and how was the emulation at the start <laughs> that's, that's that's a summary of my answer <laughs> uh DK64 emulation has been trash for a long, long time. I do remember when I first started uh, with DK64, I was told to play on the Japanese version. And that's not because the Japanese version is faster, unlike most games. It's actually slower in DK64. But it's because the other versions simply couldn't run on any kind of uh, emulator that worked with TASing tools. So that, that that gives you a sense of how bad things were at the start. And there's been a history of them trying, slowly getting better. So were there any actual Tazzes sort of in the early days? The first one that comes to mind for me is the 101 Lotad, I guess. But were there any really before this? Nothing in terms of full game. There was definitely random things like... Someone, one of the SM64 TASers uploaded them getting a gold banana at the top of Japes. And another uh, SM64 TASer, I believe it was Bob Mario, had another just like total test TAS. Um, I know there was an early uh, Caves like work in progress that was supposed to extend into something, but I don't think ever did. Which I believe there's a funny story about that one, how it actually uh, discovered a glitch years before we actually knew about it and we'll probably talk about that more later but other than that and then me personally finding a few glitches using tool assistance where it did work there really wasn't much of a backbone as far as TASing until some big fixes came around so um for example if you look i have a video that showcases how bad graphics look like on the old DK64 emulators. (laughs) And it is what's called graphical spiking, where you'll just see random vertexes of the character's model just extend across the screen. And at some points, it just got insanely bad. And it was kind of hard to take TSing seriously when, if you tried to watch a video, DK would be flying all over the screen... (laughs) just because of how um, poorly the game's graphic engine was emulated. And so a lot of work was done by a lot of people to try to fix that. And um, the 101 low tab was actually made before a full fix of that was implemented. Nowadays we have a full fix. Um, it involved a partial fix with by destroying, basically turning off part of the game's sound engine, and somehow that fixed it. The problem is when you do that... Um, changes lag and actually causes desyncs so if you would record a tas in basically normally running through and then you'd want to disable the graphical spiking later you would actually have to do it in small chunks because if for too long a period of time you recorded it without the graphical spiking it would just desync and you'd be lost so there is a heavy amount of video editing that went into the 101 LOTAD and that was required to make kind of good-looking TASs back in the day before uh, a few people, notably Chronicies and Isotarge, made a lot of fixes that basically saved quality of life. 
I don't think I was around, like, in terms of the tassing scene. Was, um, I can't remember, was graphical spiking consistent with tasses? So you'd, like, record one thing and it would spike a bunch, and then you'd watch it back and it would spike in, like, exactly the same parts? Yeah, it was consistent. But, um, again, like, you'd, you'd want to try to maintain the audio for as long as possible, simply because a TAS of the audio kind of sucks. Like, no one really wants to watch a full run with no audio. So it would constantly be basically recording the whole thing so that you have audio, but then cutting off small sections where it's spiking too badly with no audio. But then once you do the spike fix, you lose audio for the rest of that map. So you would actually wouldn't want to be recording with the spike fix in place, and it, it got very messy. Very, very messy. Yeah, and it's pretty weird. Normally, when you're tazzing, you don't have to worry about video editing, but <laughs> with DK64 back then, you did, I guess. And one thing to point out, and I hope I'm not wrong on this, but the spiking, as far as I know, was more than just visual. Sometimes you would like grab a tree, and the spiking would warp DK to the origin and void you out of the map or something like that. To this day, we have people coming into the DK64 Discord saying, Hey guys, I just found this crazy new glitch. I grabbed a tree in the first room of Jungle Japes and warped out of bounds. Because um, Project 64, which is like just a common emulator for uh, less speedrunning inclined people, has still has these glitches in place. Where you'll still spike to the origin and it's just, it gets ridiculous. It's hard to actually complete the game at some points. You need to skip climbing trees at certain points because it will just keep warping you to the origin. And the origin is usually not in the middle of the map. It is usually far out of bounds. Yeah, I remember that um, there was an old K. Rule early race that people were doing on emulator. And I think TJ and Outlaw, uh, who are both... Uh, other tasses for the UK64, they were competing as well. And I think they had to pause on trees and vines in order to prevent graphical spiking warping them when they dismounted. It was quite funny. <laughs> Actually, that reminds... I don't know why, but that reminds me. Um, forest early, a trick to get to the stage fungi forest early, was a thing for, I want to say, at least a year before we realized that the trick that was used to make it work was actually the result of an emulator glitch. <laughs> so it, it, it was it was what now we would call a telegrab, but it, it wasn't done properly. It was just the emulator glitching out and warping you upwards. And, oh, cool, you warped upwards and got it. But um, it didn't actually work on console. So Forrest really had to be rediscovered like many months later. So with the emulator fixes as well, so you were tazzing on like Moopin, which is still popular for some games, but then Chronikies did the work on the EEPROM fix. So things was like saving and loading the game that was all fixed so that you could run on Bizhawk. And then Isotage did the bone displacement fix. So pretty much he found a way to make it not mess up the sound. And now they put that into Bizhawk, but it's still kind of weird because it's almost like a game specific thing so bizhawk will look and see you know if this game is dk then apply what basically is this game shark code to fix the spiking issues does that sound about right to you guys unfortunately Unfor <laughs> unfortunately like i mean 
I started TASing in 2010. I started speedrunning this game in like, like besides just glitching, like actually speedrunning in like 2011, 2012. I've wanted to TAS this game for so long. I think my TAS finally got published in 2017 or something for uh, any percent. That just goes to show how long it took to get this stuff kind of in the emulator, everything working properly. The game functions enough that you can actually play it and do a TAS and not have it just be emulator only glitches. Yeah, I think there was uh, quite a funny thing because I remember you did the 101 no TAD and then there was this thing of, okay, well, let's do any percent next. And like you were saying, no, 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 it's going to take at least two years until it's like fully doable. And the 101 no TAD was like early 2016. And then I think it was October 2016 when Isotash was asking people to test his like modified version of Bizhawk to see whether it fixed bone displacement and it actually worked. And I think in October 2016 was when Bizhawk also rolled out that change as well. So it was uh, quite the turnover to go from something where we were expecting 2018 at the very earliest to where within less than a year we had a fix for one of the game's most crippling emulation bugs. And I remember watching that any uh, percent Taz live, and it was so exciting to see that it was finally possible after all this time. And also, it was a really good Taz to watch. So, yeah, it was a really good moment. Uh, how is emulation now, though? Is it pretty close to console, or is there still work to be done? I would say it's so much close. Like it's dramatically closer than it used to be, but it's not perfect. Um, really, the main problem left is lag emulation, while a lot better than it used to be, still is kind of iffy at some points, notably in the K. Rule fight. There's one cutscene where you can save about 10 seconds over N64, just because the lag isn't emulating properly. But overall, it seems to be fairly consistent in most areas, and thankfully so. Because lag actually matters a lot in this game as we'll find out yeah the thing which i've noticed the k roll cutscene is actually the most notable case of it um but the thing which i've noticed is that oranges seem way more powerful at generating lag and there are a ton of areas where you should at least be getting a slight amount of lag but you just don't get it so i think that it's lag emulation is still really off as uh ring rush said but um yeah i agree with him that it's still significantly better than what it was like in um 2015 or 2016 yeah okay i'm I'm sure we'll come back to what the lag is like on emulator when we're talking about individual tricks as well but it's really good to hear that it's a lot closer to console than it used to be of course you know making it perfect would be incredibly difficult and very few games have that so let's talk about some specific Tazzes now. So we briefly touched on this at the moment, but right now we've got some current Tazzes and low Tads. We've got any percent, which is a Taz, and then a few low Tads, which are 101% NLE, which is no levels early, uh, max percent moveless, and some low A press stuff. There's actually an entire YouTube channel dedicated to low A, which I'll link in the show notes and description. So um, any percent we talked about a little bit so far. So 
Does one of you want to give a brief overview on kind of what you can skip on any percent and how it differs from what you would do in RTA? Yeah. Um, the differences between RTA are kind of twofold. The first is there's actually a definition difference. And this was a personal choice made by me in a consultation with a few others and like reviewing TAS videos policies. But there is a trick in the game called intro story glitch that if you get a clean cartridge, just like a copy of DK64 out of the store back in the day, you can't do it. Um, you need to actually have done a file previously where you got to a certain point in the story, got captured a few pictures of fairies, even transform into Rambi at one point for part of it. And you need to do all that in order for it to be unlocked on the main menu. If you are familiar with Banjo-Tooie, it's kind of similar to how you need to uh, have gotten to a certain point to have bosses replays unlocked in the main menu. So because of that, console users, people who run the game, will abuse this trick that requires that. For the TAS, I made a different decision in that I'm not going to do anything that you couldn't do off of a clean cartridge. So in the end, I do abuse the trick, but I actually unlock it first. So I need to take a picture of six fairies and I need to transform into Rambi, and I do all that in the course of the run. And while it sounds like a lot, maybe it's, it adds about like four minutes to the total time, roughly. So just from that alone, you'll, that, 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 prevents a, that presents a very different route from the real time. And it's almost that the real time route is a subset of that route because it's just a bit of extra things you have to do. And aside from that, though, some of the things that are special for TAS is um, the route during ISG or MMM, and these are tricks I assume we'll talk about later. It's a very complicated trick. It's the trick that I'm sure both of us are dreading having to explain. But um, the gist of it is that you have a five and a half minute timer where you can do things under a few certain rules where time doesn't matter speed doesn't matter so as long as you want to fit as much things as you can into this basically free five and a half minutes because after the five and a half minutes are up then time starts again and speed matters again because then you have to be at a very specific place five and a half minutes after activating the glitch in the middle it doesn't matter so the TAS is able to cram a lot more things into that five and a half minutes than a console run would do. A console run at best is getting key eight, which is the key in Hideout Helm, which is the last level of the game. Uh, for the TAS, what we're able to do is we're able to go get the key eight like a console would. We're able to ascend into Frantic Factory, clear a few cutscenes there, get four fairies, which is something relevant for that route, and then basically be more productive during that time. And so therefore spend less time in the rest of the run trying to do this stuff. So I'd say that's the probably the biggest thing for TAS. Yeah, and I'm sure that that five-minute timer sets off alarm bells for a lot of people. You know, like five minutes of the TAS would be an auto-scroller, but it's not quite like that either because you can always fit more stuff in and it's really complicated with if you go through a door or trigger a cutscene at the wrong time, it ruins everything. When I watched it, I remember seeing maybe 15, 20 seconds of play around waiting, not five and a half minutes. Yeah, there's a weird thing where basically every so often, whenever, if you were playing the intro story alongside the video, like next to it, whenever a transition would happen in the intro story, something is going to happen in the game if you trigger a cutscene. 
And so that actually creates some weird things where you need to get around. You need to specifically trigger a cutscene and then fade out into a loading zone in order to not what's called getting sucked back into the intro story and losing all your progress. So a lot of the time it revolves around making sure that these transitions don't interrupt with the gameplay. And so there's some interesting stuff around that. So any percent was quite recent and that used the emulator fix, but the 101% low tad that you made as well, Ring Rush, now that didn't use the fix and that was quite a while ago now, actually. When was that? Off the top of my, I, I believe early 2016, something along that, that ilk, maybe 2015. Um, the key thing there was I promised my viewers back when I was a speedrunner, if I got sub 45 in any percent, I'll do a 101% run. <laughs> Which, for those of you who know the game, sub 45 <laughs> is nothing these days. Like, um, premature promise. And, and, and I never wanted to run 101%. I don't want to sit down for six hours, five hours, and do all that. But instead I said, okay, well, I promised something, so <laughs> let's be as crazy as I possibly can and, make a TA and try to make a TAS, even though there's this whole graphical spiking issue that we know. And this will be my substitute for what I promised. And so I probably spent about a third of my time grappling with spiking issues and video editing, so it maybe wasn't the best use of my time. But there were at least a hundred new strategies in there, I, I, like if you count it, that weren't in real-time runs at the point. Um, anywhere from skipping dances of golden bananas by using orange damage, to insane things like in the middle of a baboon blast course, instead of basically shooting through cannons in a very linear fashion, you can get stuck on something in the middle and gain control and do a floating kick to reach the end of it early. So there is all kinds of crazy stuff that was found in that, that just some of it made its way to real time, some of it just made its way to Legends. And so it was a super cool thing to release, and it's probably one of my favorite things I've ever done with this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the medium term another version of it isn't created, now that we don't have to spend so much time with graphical spiking and a few new tricks are found. Yeah, and even... So we'll we'll find out later in this episode what has been found since then. But even though there's still stuff that could be improved with our new knowledge now, I mean, I still love to go back and watch that low tad because it's so different to RTA because the tricks in this game are really inconsistent. So you can just pull off orange clips first try every time and do crazy stuff that would never be consistent in RTA and Taz only stuff as well. So um, how long did the 101 low tad and any percent Taz take you to make? I want to say 101 was about five months total, including routing. And any percent routing happened over the course of like seven years. But um, <laughs> as far as the actual creation of it, um, I want to say two to three months. Nice. And uh, moving on, we have the no levels early low tad. And that was Tom. Tom, you co-authored that with Kiwi Killer, didn't you? Yeah, so this was, gosh, I think it was like Christmas Day or like Christmas time 2016 when Kiwi mentioned to me that he wanted to do, uh, Kiwi is an RTA runner, he wanted to do a segmented run of No Levels Early, which was his favourite category. And I said, well, why not take it one step further and do a TAS? So uh, we kind of like did a lot of routing together and I... Uh, showed him 
all the whips and stuff. So in terms of actual making of it, like I did all the tassing, but he helped like a bunch with in terms of routing and like seeing what else could be improved in terms of movement and stuff like that. Because um, he has a lot of knowledge regarding movement that I do not. So yeah, the NLE loads had was uh, quite an interesting one because midway through making it, I found a glitch called spawn snagging, which will discuss uh later on but it started kind of a new era i I wouldn't say a new era but it's an interesting thing where we have to split up task files because of viewer watchability versus wanting to remain true to a task so you want to have a case of where a viewer can watch something and know exactly what's going on but because of the way the trick works, you need to have the level deloaded in certain areas. And so you kind of have to split the task file up in order to make it work properly. But yeah, the NLE loadout was a fun one to make. Good. Um, yeah, NLE, for those who are less familiar with DK64, it's kind of like the middle category. So you're not allowed to go into any levels early. And it's about two hours, whereas any percent is about half an hour and 100% RTA is a little bit over five hours. Generally, these middle categories are constructed in such a way that they're pretty entertaining just by design, really. So, yeah, I thought NLE was a really good watch and because this was later than the 101 LOTAD. It's interesting to see what strategies came about since then. Yeah. And then it got obsoleted like two months later because Glorious found a trick. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's why LOTADs are great. <laughs> yeah, you were lucky that it got obsoleted in two months as opposed to, uh, I think, one week after the Any% TAS came out, phase walking was found. <laughs> oh. Well, what was it for 101% where Cave's Beetle Race got found as well? Oh, yeah. That was me myself though, so that's my fault. <laughs> I found another like <laughs> a, like a minute time saver like a week or a month or something after that was done. So there's a, there's a history here with DK sixty four. Okay, so Tom, you also made max percent moveless, where you got seventy eight point six five percent gain completion without any moves. So what swayed you to do something like this? So, like, at this point, Ringrush was already in full swing with Loe um, and doing his videos on various strategies you could do for this challenge. And with DKCC4, we have another challenge called Moveless, which is trying to beat as much of the game as possible without having any of the cranky moves, any of the funky moves or candy moves, and the... Uh, you can't have the camera or shockwave from Banana Ferry Island. So the only moves that you get are from training grounds, where you get the ability to throw oranges, swim underwater, and stuff like that. And so we try to do as much of the game as possible with that. And there were not many videos around of the various different strategies and GBs that you could do uh, to get as much as possible. And so I thought, well, I kind of want to like do a bunch for Moveless as well, kind of in the style of low A. But I thought, well, why not? Let's just show it off in uh, full force with a low tad and try and show off as much as we can do in some form of optimized uh, movie that someone can just sit down and watch in one sitting, you know? So that was the motivation behind that. And 
<laughs> yet again following DK64 tradition, because uh, this is max percent moveless, of course, so it's as much as you can collect moveless. And then I can't remember how long it was after. I think it was three months. We found another GB which you could get moveless with some vase tricks in uh, Angry Aztec. And then we found a bunch of other stuff which you could get moveless uh, shortly after that. So, yeah, again, following the tradition of load had is made, then a certain short amount of time afterwards, a trick gets found which obsoletes it. But yeah. So, what was the motivation for getting. The training grounds moves. I remember being a little bit annoyed at that when I first saw this. Is there a reason why you get those ones and not the other ones? It's quite like that was initially the, that was just the rule set for moveless at the time. But if you look into what's possible without training ground moves, it kind of makes sense because without training ground moves, you can't pick up barrels, and so you can't do a glitch in. Uh, Fungi Forest or Angry Aztec to get key 5 earlier than intended. But there's another trick you can do to enter Creepy Castle early, but to our knowledge, uh, that requires a candy move, which is a DK's instrument. And so with that way, you can't enter a castle at all. So you can't unlock any Kongs with that. And all of the Kongs require moves to unlock what we call organically, uh, which is just going through the actual puzzle in the game, so shooting the various switches in Jungle Japes or slamming the lanky pad in um, Frantic Factory to unlock the Kong. You can also unlock Kongs with uh, K Rule, but I believe at the time you can't even get that moveless because that requires ISG. And even if you allowed ISG at the time, it was purely considered an emulator only glitch and wasn't brought into any actual console at all. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I think, because there's also stuff you can do, like orange clips, which make it more entertaining as well. Yeah. Yeah, Max Percent Moveless, I found to be a really good watch, because a lot of the moves are very slow, like playing musical instruments and doing baboon blast courses and, you know, all that. But the Moveless GBs that you get are much faster, and it's kind of like a more fast-paced run, I find. It's also a case of some, like, really easy GBs that you can get, um, which are just, like, easy with a move, just become extraordinarily difficult if you just take away moves. So, for instance, the GB at the top of the mountain in Jungle Japes, all you have to do in a normal game is just enter the mountain, slam a pad inside it, and then just collect it. But with Moveless, you have to go all the way to the back of the level without reload or without loading the main portion of the level. And then, like, keep the camera locked there and move there as DK, get to the top of the mountain, and then tag Diddy on top in order to get the GB. So it's showcasing, like, <laughs> in almost a case of a Rube Goldberg machine of taking something which is ordinarily very simple and making it so complex and difficult that it becomes fascinating. Mm, yeah, it had a good combination of that. So... How long did Max Percent Moveless and NLE take you to bank? Um, both were about five months. So even though NLE was, I think, like an hour shorter, that was my f first full game Lotad uh, and anything like that. And it was pretty much the first significant uh, task thing that I did. 
and so naturally you just have a bunch of uh, stuff regarding trying to get used to tassing uh, that takes you a little bit longer. But with max percent moveless, it just became a little bit uh, quicker because I knew what I was doing. And so Ring Rush, you also did some work on the low A stuff for DK64. Now, I'm sure that this could be basically a whole episode on its own, as well as the moveless. But can you give us a brief overview on what you've done in low A? Sure. I think the best way to put this is it takes three A presses to start your file. From there, you can get 193 of the 201 gold bananas in the game without pressing A again. So this game is insanely busted when it comes to the A button challenge, and it's busted in super interesting ways. In my opinion, and probably a lot of others who have seen a lot of these A-button challenges, it's the most interesting one outside of SM64. Uh, as as uh, Balan was saying, like you get these crazy strategies for otherwise simple things. Like, for instance, you do things where you're starting to grab Chunky's own animation to spawn an object from a different level in order to stack... 50 of them in a room in order to generate enough lag that your auto jump in this one location can go across the room and slam a switch. And it gets absurdly complex and interesting, and I think it's so cool. But um, the way I structured it is I have a separate channel, I believe it's going to be linked in the description, where I just use one video roughly per gold banana. Um, I'll put a bunch together if they're not that interesting. But we've managed to lower the game to 39 A-presses total for 101%, which is sounds like a lot, but when you think of how much is actually done with no, nothing additional, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it probably seems like a weird category for those who aren't familiar with it, but uh, to the listeners, if you haven't seen Pan and Coex's low A press videos in Super Mario 64, they're definitely worth a watch. And um, yeah, it gives you a whole new way of looking at the game, and it can be really interesting what strategies end up happening. So you're basically, when we're talking about low A presses, it's like one A press is you know pressing it down and then letting it go. So you can press A and hold it for a really long time, and that's just one A press. So correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Matt, but you're holding A for most of the run? Yes, I am. Um, a lot of people listening to this probably know about the 0.5x A presses and the whole memes around <laughs> that. Um, I acknowledge them, but in a game that's not really individual level-based, it's not as clearly separable as SM64, I believe the notation isn't particularly useful. Um, there are a lot of things in the game where it's just nice to have it held. Um, often it's just a way to speed things up. Sometimes it's actually a useful thing. And so I just think of it whereas, okay, you're going to use A three times to start the game. That's probably not going anywhere. Uh, if it goes somewhere, I will be more than happy to change my mind, but I, I doubt that's going to go anywhere. From there, just keep A held as long as possible. There's almost no instances where you'd want to unhold A. So I do uh, hold A for almost the duration of the run, which... If you add up all the videos together is and add up all the time, like maybe cut out, because some of these GBs can actually take hours, the strategies, um, it's going to be like 10, 14, 20 hours. 
Oh, wow. So what causes them to take hours? Is it stuff like cloning the vases? You yeah, um, the longest, the, two, the few longest GBs are all vase cloning. But there is just some strategies that are simply long because you need to set up something in one area and then go to a completely different area to set up something else. And there's a trick called pause cancel where you have to always go back to fungi forest and lose the rabbit race a certain way in order to set up a trick that you'll then use in the middle of the K. rule fight. So there's just a lot of uh, kind of crazy running around doing weird things that will end up affecting other areas. Wow, I didn't realize this game had stuff that can take that long, but there you go. Wow. And so the reason you're holding A for most of it is because, well, I'm sure there are lots of reasons, but probably a big one is that the Kong will... If they come out of a door, like they've just been through a loading zone, they'll do a jump if you're holding A. Yeah. I mean, swimming is faster. You can actually buy moves, because when you go to buy moves, otherwise this would become the next max percent moveless challenge. When you buy moves, you have to hold A. <laughs> and then, as you said, um, when you go through a loading zone, any like input reading is disabled, and then when it gets re-enabled, um, it will fire off that jump. And so just holding A and letting that auto jump when you enter a room ends up being surprisingly useful. Though it's only used in a few places, but it's it's a nice trick. So for 101, you're down to 39 A presses. Most of those seem to be on the last eight golden bananas. Uh, how about any percent or NLE? Yeah, any percent is 16. Um, three, to start the, <laughs> three to start the game, five to, for Mad Jack, and eight for K roll. And that's unfortunate that it's like you can get a 96% run in three A presses, but just to beat the game, it takes 16. So that, that, that's a bit of a, just an unfortunate thing about how it turned out. But um, yeah, it's still insanely cool. I would love to get it at below 10 someday, but we'll see. And the Mad Jack K rule stuff, is that mainly just for ground pounding the switches? For, for Mad Jack, it's yeah, you have to ground pound the switches and to ground pound, you need to be in a jump state. And to be in a jump state without many uh, tools around to help you, you usually have to jump. For K. Rule, it's just a lot of the phases spawn barrels in the middle of the arena that you have to jump to, and you don't have that much to work with in the fight. And any of those A presses actually individually are skippable, but combined, because they require that trick that you set up in Fungi Forest, and you can only do it for one of them, uh, you have to end up eating a lot of A presses there. All right, I think we should move on to talk about specific tricks and techniques so we'll come back to talk about how these tasks are improvable but before that we'll talk about you know what tricks have been found since then so i don't want to go really far back here because you can basically watch let's say cfox's agdq run and get most of the more historical tricks pretty quickly but we will go reasonably far back and focus on stuff that's more in a TAS context rather than what you might be familiar with with RTA. So first thing we should talk about is orange clipping and just how lag works in this game in general. Yeah, so DK64 is a an incredibly laggy game and the developers kind of knew this. So there's a little, I guess a feature or a mechanic where they speed up your Kong's frame-to-frame distance by the amount of lag present. It's actually directly uh, proportional, so in terms of like actual speed, it is like it's the exact same. But because uh, you're moving more between frames, 
you can bypass collision detection if you don't pass through like a collision area of a wall in that uh, gap in a real frame. Um, yeah, or they don't check for collision in the lag frames, so you can bypass through walls um, by just going really fast and lagging the game a lot. Yeah, and I think a good analogy for why this is so broken is to kind of look at a less broken game in comparison. So Banjo-Kazooie does a similar thing. It speeds Banjo up when the game lags with a few key differences. So in that game, there's a cap on how much you can speed up. It's uh, 1.5 times the normal speed. In DK64, there's not. So if you could create enough lag, you could go like 10 times faster or something, provided the game doesn't crash. Uh, also, in DK64, you just get sped up horizontally, so you'll move further, but your jump height won't speed up. Like, you won't speed up in your vertical speed. So as a result, you can kind of full slower but still be moving faster due to lag and that allows you to clear great distances like um solar kick for example where you jump from the head of dk island to hide out home and i think those are the two main reasons why dk64 the lag in that is broken but you can have other games where you do still speed up to lag and then it's not broken yeah, I think one of the keys with DK64 is it's so easy to get lag. Um, some places like Creepy Castle, like you can get enough lag to clip walls without doing anything special, just casually playing the game. And in other places, just the fact that you can throw four oranges and you basically create four explosions on screen whenever you want. And that's just, that can be done anywhere, basically, to create a lag to clip almost anything you want to. And so that power, whenever you want it, is so good and so powerful. Yeah, so you can basically go through any wall, but um, then the issue is you're running out of oranges, because if you're taking four every time you want to clip, then you've only got 20 to play with. You also want oranges to take damage as you're collecting a golden banana to skip the dance as well. So from what I could tell from your 101 low tide ring rush, they were a very valuable resource. Absolutely. Fairies, luckily, when you take a picture of them, refill your oranges, and that ended up being a critical part of the route, just making sure you get to the fairies at the right time. And uh, even cutting out some clips that would otherwise save time because you just don't have the oranges to do it. Hmm. Yeah, so that's often known as orange clipping, but uh, you know it really is lag clipping more than anything. You don't need oranges, as, as you can see in Creepy Castle. And some RTA runners play this game on virtual console because it's faster because it has less lag but then you've got kind of lots of trade-offs there because yes there's less lag so a lot of things are faster but um then you can't do orange clips because there's less lag unless you're in like a really laggy place like the top of creepy castle or something you can still orange clip on vc there yeah do you reckon there's any chance of doing tazzes on vc would you if the emulation was good enough there is a trick we're going to talk about pretty soon, actually, that is likely only going to be possible on VC. And if that ever gets solved fully, then I would absolutely TAS on VC if possible. But other than that, unless VC gets like a specific trick, there's kind of no real point. N64 is more interesting because it has lag clips. Um, and it just has a lot more cool things you could do with it. So 
personally, I wouldn't go to VC unless that a specific hypothetical trick gets found. How about you, Tom? Would you test on VC? No, <laughs> I agree Aww. with Ring- I agree with Ringrush that unless a trick gets specifically found for VC, where it just adds something to the run, I just don't think it's really worth it. Especially with all the tools that we have for N sixty four tassing, that we would inevitably have to start up again and get all those working for VC. Yeah, not only that, but it's probably going to be a really long time until you could Taz on VC, even if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to talking about Blastomatic Kick or Bum Kick for short. I mean, this is a way to get into Hideout Helm early as DK, and uh, Ewing Rush had a lot of fun doing this RTA. <laughs> so, <laughs> this I, Bum Kick was a TAS I made. It was like a 40-second TAS I made uh, in 2013 or 2014 or something like that, pretty early on, um, that was used to save what would theoretically save 45 seconds in any percent by skipping the move monkey port. Then um, something happened where a significant other trick was discovered, such that when combined with bomb kick, it would cut out four Kongs from the run, and all of Angry Aztec, and all of Jungle Japes. And suddenly this trick was saving 10 minutes. And at that point, well, I mean, it was nice when it was a 45-second time saver for TAS, but when it's a 10-minute time saver, it feels hard to grind for runs knowing that if anyone does this trick, they're going to beat you by an absurd margin. So, what do you do? You start grinding for the TAS trick. And, uh... (laughs) Luckily, within the first week, we found a few simplifications. Um, The original strategy was actually kind of absurd. We found a way to cut out basically like maybe a quarter of the trick. Uh, We found a moon kick, at the basically a floaty kick at the start to skip an annoying what's called a skid jump. So that was nice. And in the end, though, it still took me like 50 hours to get this trick. Not obviously not all at once, but like over the course of the month, just oftentimes when I was doing other things, just grinding this trick. I'm I'm on a Skype call. I'm grinding this trick. I'm watching a stream. I'm grinding this trick. Um, These days, we understand it a lot better, and we know a few extra optimizations I didn't know at the time in order to make it easier. But for a long time, this was a serious issue. And when I finally did get a run with this trick, it was... Probably the most hype run for me that I've ever gotten. Um, it was so exciting to actually get this thing that took 50 hours to get once, like to actually get in the run. It was just incredible, and um, yeah, that really spurred a dramatic change in how this game is any percent looks from five kongs to one kong. But that was all thanks to TAS, because without TAS, there's no way this would have ever been found. Hmm. And this took any percent from like 42-ish down to about 30 minutes when it was found. Yeah. Um, my record at the time it was found was 42.17, I want to say. And by the end of the time I was done with this trick, um, me and several other runners grinding it down, it was at 29.29. And then since then, more minutes have saved off with a few other optimizations. Nice. Yeah, it's it's difficult to express how hard this trick actually is. I think probably like it's a fair guess to say maybe less than 10, maybe less than 20 people in the world have ever done it. Um, luckily, it's been obsoleted now. 
Isotage has a pace bin on literally everyone who has successfully pulled off this trick on video. And I think it's 15 people now. And most of it is people who did it or had to do it when that was actually the way to get a sub 30 time in any percent was uh, doing this trick. Yeah, he taught me to do it once. I'm not sure if that's in the pace bin, but I did it on like emulator with the safe state, just about to do the kick. Even that was like, he confirms that it was possible to do it off that safe state. So I knew, and then I grinded it for like a very long time and got it completely pointless now but it was good fun (laughs) it is pointless for real time but actually in the any percent tas it made a somewhat surprising comeback because the trick to obsolete it involves using the tag barrel at the start of dk aisles and then doing a few tricks involving that but in the tas because we're cramming so many things into this uh five minute section we actually go to frantic factory first then come out and have to go to helm so we can't stop by the tag barrel at the start of aisles and so Bomb Kick made a comeback. It was, it was kind of exciting after all these years to see it see it again. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's good to not lose that knowledge just in case it's useful somewhere else at some point. Yeah, and Bomb Kick uses something called a moon kick, which we've alluded to many times now. Basically what a moon kick is is yeah, doing DK's aerial attack, like his jump and then press B attack into the ground and then quickly pressing B again to do the kick. So you get the initial, is it the initial speed of the kick upwards and the gravity of the aerial attack? It's the initial Y velocity of the kick. uh, And then you get the Y acceleration of the aerial attack. So that's what's happening there. Um, And because the aerial attack has a lower Y deceleration uh, it means that you essentially just fall to the ground a lot slower of course and means you can get a lot higher with just one kick and yeah yeah the listeners who are familiar with yeah, calculus or physics or whatever will be pretty familiar done a million of those questions before but you know lower acceleration slash gravity a higher initial upward speed means you get a very high kick and you know that lets you get from the little blastomatic cannon shooty laser thing all the way up to k mouth and it's used in heaps of other places so yeah that's a moon kick uh okay sh- so bomb kick wasn't around for long uh moon kicks were bomb kick wasn't and that was obsoleted by a trick called tag barrel storage so is one of you want to take this one uh sure so this one, um, we alluded to earlier on in this podcast, there was a TAS made by a, I think he's a uh, SM64 TASA called uh, Haru. It was a Caves 100% TAS weapon progress on the um, Japanese version of the game. And at one point, he detransformed as Hunky Chunky and managed to somehow uh, have control of the tag barrel and then reappear after the tag barrel in like an unusual location. And this was way back in 2011, and no one really took note of it. And then a glitch hunter called Xcord, uh, back in, I think it was August 2014, was messing with the trick and found a way to essentially gain control in a tag barrel, which allows you to have not only control of the tag barrel, but also control of the Kong. 
and due to the way that tag barrels work and just how the game functions, uh, it gives you a lot of abilities such as turning the Kong invisible, uh, freezing your stored positions, which uh, stored positions are incredibly important to uh, some DK64 actions. A lot of stuff is based on it. And through a bunch of years of just finding more and more methods of getting this trick, I think the total count of methods of getting tag barrel storage is now up to 24 with just various <laughs> meme methods. Um, but its usage in 90% is uh, if you get tag barrel storage and then tag, your stored positions are set at the uh, map origin, which is 0, 0, 0. And then if you grab up on the ledge, the way that the game works is it essentially changes your vertical Y height to essentially adds the difference between your stored position and your actual position and just changes you to that spot and essentially allows you to warp upwards. And it is now used in any percent uh, to essentially enter hideout how early, which uh, obsoleted Blastomatic Kick. Cool. And you made a video on all the different methods to get tag barrel storage, didn't you, Tom? Uh, yeah, I did. It's part of uh, something that I've been doing recently, which is just trying to go through a lot of DK64 stuff and explain it a little bit in uh, more detail. But yeah, there's like 24 methods. And so you have like typical methods that like you use in RTA, such as uncrouching the frame before you enter a tag barrel to some of the more unusual ones, but like skid jumping and taking a fairy for photo or taking a picture of a fairy and then entering a tag barrel and then the picture is processing and you get the little screen there. And then the fairy gives you all the uh, refills and stuff like that. And you get taken out of the tag barrel by that refill animation. And therefore you have brief uh, control of the tag barrel on the Kong at that point. And I vaguely remember, I'm not sure if it was you that had this happen, Ring Rush. It was the falling rock in crystal caves hitting you as you entered the tag barrel. That was how it was rediscovered, wasn't it? Um, I mean, that might have happened to me. I've definitely had enough dumb stuff happen with falling rocks in crystal caves <laughs> and tag barrels. More than just tag barrel storage, you can get some really weird effects there. But I'm not sure that was how it was rediscovered. I mean, I think that's how it happened with uh, Haru originally. Ah, uh, yeah, that's probably what it was. But I think it was rediscovered, if anything, in Forest. Fungi, at least the uh, Hunky Chunky method was in Fungi Forest, where uh, it's easy to accidentally do when you, in the tomato section, after you're done with that. You can accidentally trigger it sometimes. So how do you do that? Just, like, detransform and go into the tag barrel? The uh, detransform input is crouching and pulling out your gun, and sometimes when you're doing that, Guess what? You uncrouched right into the tag barrel, so you'll actually you'll accidentally trigger it that way. Oh, yeah. So in tag barrel storage, you can kind of see just what's going on in the tag barrel, but your Kong is moving around. So you guys have some sort of camera hack. I think Isotage made that one to see what's going on in a Taz. Do you do that mainly for the viewers or to help you actually Taz it or both? I primarily do it for the viewers because it's way easier to see where you're going. Although for some things it is really handy to see where you are um, and can be really useful. But primarily it's for viewers. 
personally, I think I would never have found half the things I did if it didn't exist. Like, the camera hack is so useful, especially in the discovery phase. Because I, I've done a lot of tricks with Tag Barrel Storage. It's one of the most versatile glitches in the game. And, there, like, there's a billion methods to activate it, and there's ju almost just as many ways to abuse it. And um, certainly without the help of that kind of tool, I never would have been able to do a lot of these things or come up with a lot of these things or figure out all these weird effects even. Mm. Yeah, I remember when it was coming out, like all the stuff that was being found. It's sort of like you can get through pretty much any wall you want to in DK, but covering vertical things was always the hard part. And this just let you do that pretty well, among all the other things you can do, like what I'm sure is a lot of people's favorite part in the 101 Taz is when you're like tiny in skew with Diddy's jetpack yeah. in Fungi Forest. Yeah, and that's tag barrel storage shenanigans going on there. Yeah, so many uses for it. And yeah, I'm pretty sure we could do a whole episode just on TBS, honestly. I think it's very easy to kind of just say, well, TBS is only used as just telegrabbing for any percent. But yeah, as Ring Rush hinted, there's just so many things which TBS can do. And I think in a lot of situations, TBS has helped with breaking the game and uh, discovering a glitch uh, with just TBS. Yeah, I, mm. I mean, you can use TBS to get rolling speed constantly. Like, that's something that no one ever thinks about. But it's a very interesting use of, TB of TBS that may very well come to be seen in uh, TAS someday. Like, I don't think there was a specific use of that um, in any of the more recent ones, but that's there. Um, and I think there's just so many different ways you can use tag barrel storage to break the game that uh, a lot of people haven't really explored and that we've explored to some extent, but it's, it's just such an exciting realm of things you can find. How do you keep rolling speed you roll and then as you go out of range of a tag barrel you tag uh the action of a tag will lock your basically movement state and then since the barrel unloads because you're out of range it won't correct itself so then you're just sliding around at rolling speed wow nice does that get lost if you hit a wall or have to turn or something uh, no um the big problem is you if you jump out of it like to do anything out of it you have to lose it but you can turn and yeah so just the last little thing on tbs just like as i said there's a camera hack so if you're ever watching a dk64 taz and it goes black and white normally the screen would be black or showing a tag barrel there but they're showing you what's going on because otherwise it would be really boring uh did you use that cam hack in any percent ring rush i can't remember i did not um any percent is actually fortunate in that in the current route TBS lasts for like a few seconds in the I can't see anything phase, and then you tag a column, and then your visibility is restored. So it's luckily not needed there. That can cause desyncs as well, so you wouldn't really want to be messing with it too much in a, a Taz submitted to Taz video. Yeah, 101 uses it all the time, though. So. Hmm. Yeah, it's also a uh, RAM modification. Uh, so it changes the value in memory and so for obviously a TAS requiring that to like be used in order for a movie to be played fully is uh, not good for task videos rules okay um, should we talk about spawn snagging while we're on the subject of TBS 
Yeah. So this was the trick that I found midway through making the end of Lilo Tad, and as a result, I had to go all the way back to Angry Aztec. Um, <laughs> so there's different uh, types of objects in the game, and they're primarily categorized into two lists, actors and object model two. And so with object model two, they are permanently loaded in the map. And some of the uh, objects which you might encounter are GBs. And if a GB has a puzzle locked behind it, so for instance, uh, arcade round one, where you have to beat the first round of arcade in order to get them to the GB, um, the GB is always there. And the GB, until you load the room, is tangible and collectible. And then when you load the room, uh, the game performs a check to see have you completed the puzzle. And if you haven't, then one frame after the check, it makes the GB intangible and also makes it disappear. So if you keep the room deloaded, you can actually collect the GB earlier than intended. And so I think there's like, I want to say 50 or 60 GBs out of the 201, which have this little property and can potentially be used to acquire GBs a lot earlier than intended. Um, the major downside to it is that you have to keep a locked camera for some of the ones because they're just in a really poor place and the only efficient way to do so is with tag barrel storage and uh, it can cause issues when creating tasks. It sounds like it would save quite a bit of time because you're cutting out all these mini games that are honestly not super entertaining, um, especially like since you have to do DK Arcade twice anyway, why not cut it down to one? So are there any that are sort of theoretically possible that you haven't been able to get yet? The main one is that's theoretically possible is there's... In Creepy Castle, you have the crypt, which is uh, like the bottom area of Castle with... Um, for instance, you've got the Coffin GB and also DK's Minecart GB in Creepy Castle. So for the Coffin GB, where you have to hit the numbers 1, 2, 3, and 4... You can grab that GB earlier than intended in theory because it is part of the spawn snack GB list. But unfortunately, because of the way that the coffin is in the middle of the room and that there are no tag barrels in that room, it's unfortunately currently impossible to collect without loading the GB and therefore impossible to collect with uh, spawn snacking. Do you reckon it could be gotten one day or it's pretty out of the question? I think it can be get on one day. It's definitely close to being possible. It's just really difficult right now. Uh, and as with DK64, with a lot of things, you can't really say something's impossible because one day someone's going to find some weird thing. Like, <laughs> arbitrary code execution is probably the next one, <laughs> next big thing to be found. <laughs> and uh, if that gets found well, like, <laughs> a lot of stuff just changes. And it's happened so many times before where we've said the game can't get more broken and then, you know, like it could be like the next day or it could be a few months or even a few years later, someone comes around and discovers something truly groundbreaking and it just breaks the game wide open again. Mm. Yeah, and seeing like five Kong go down to one Kong and then bum kick one Kong going down, TBS one Kong. And then potentially, like, K. Rule early being found, even though that's, you know, not really compatible with any percent. But yeah, it's always really exciting, DK64, because it is more broken than an average game. So yeah, it's good to see it come down 
you know, fairly regularly and like phase walking and all that. Speaking of which, should we talk about all the all the phase glitches? First of all, phase swimming, also known as swim through vertical walls sometimes. Sure. It's embarrassing that it's still called swim through vertical walls, to be honest. There are no I love swim through vertical walls. <laughs> there are not many horizontal walls in this world, but um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um phase swimming, I never heard it called that, that's a good way to put it. But um this whole phase state, it's a US version glitch. And it happens when you leave first-person mode. And so normally when you leave first-person mode, controls uh, resumed as normal, but a little adjustment happens to your angle. So who knows what kind of logic went into this, but the game decides to add 360 degrees to your angle upon leaving first-person. And for those of you who know, 360 degrees is not going to change your angle too much because it is a full circle. But for some reason... It takes a bit of time to truncate that back down, and then some, some scenarios won't truncate it back down to something in the range of 0 to 360. And when it's not truncated, you actually can kind of clip walls. <laughs> so um, the, the way collision works is that these very large angles can let you pass through walls if, if um, you have enough speed. And so <clears throat> water is one of these states where the ang your angle doesn't properly get truncated, and so if you're facing anywhere between 0 and 180, the closer to 180 the better, and you leave first person mode in the water, you will just swim right through any wall you pass by. So that's fantastic. This has been known for a while. Nobody knew exactly what caused it, but as you can imagine, it's not a particularly hard glitch that someone would have found it. It was found accidentally quite easily by a lot of different people. The key was, though, when we started finding other things with the same effect. One of them first was phase falling, where it turns out falling is also something that doesn't truncate your angle properly. And so if you go into first person while you're falling off a ledge and then leave, leave, you can end up clipping a wall that way. But then one of the craziest ones that was found, which was right after the any percent TAS was done, was phase walking, where you can delay this angle fixing by alternating between a directional input and a neutral input, meaning your control stick has no uh, direction at all. And so if you go to first person and then leave and then do a back input and then do a neutral input and then do a forward input, that's a trick called instant acceleration. But if you keep doing neutral forward, neutral forward, or hold crouch, which is another thing that works, you can, from anywhere, walk through any wall that is in facing the proper angle. and the, the benefit is, as we talked about earlier, oranges are a valuable resource, and this lets you skip throwing them. It lets you skip waiting for the explosions for the orange, so it's a faster way to do it. And in less laggy areas, it lets you get some clips you otherwise couldn't. And phase walking just ends up being useful everywhere. Because, what do you know, walking through any wall incredibly quickly tends to be a useful trick. I remember this being, you know, it was always swim through vertical walls for a really long time. You know, even the DK64 programmers knew that because when they made the European and Japanese version, it was patched. So it's been known for ages. And I remember having like a, uh, me and Isotage downloaded all these cheat codes from the internet and put them in the folder. And uh, it was like, check out this cool glitch in DK64. If you're in multiplayer, just uh, look at the wall underwater and you'll go out of bounds and shoot all your friends. And we would, like, try and do it so many times. But 
of course it didn't work because we had the PAL version. Yeah, but seeing it go from that, going from slim through vertical walls to, as I like to call it, walk through vertical walls, or as it should be called, phase walking. Yeah, it was a really big improvement. And from what I understand, people have done this RTA as well, haven't they? Even with the frame-perfect joystick inputs? Yeah, it's been done RTA several times by quite a few people. Um, I think it's in the current 80% world record. And it, it's even more important on virtual console because it's harder to get through walls on that due to less lag. So as you briefly mentioned before, Ring Rush, the wall has to be at a particular angle. So if you're in like a room that was just a cube and you wanted to get out of it, you might only be able to get through one of the four walls. Is that right? Or maybe two? Yeah, usually you can get through one wall. And if you add lag to increase your speed and kind of make up for, quote, the lack of clippability, uh, you can do two walls. It has to be somewhere in that 0 to 180 range. The closer to 180, the better. Nice. Oh, I think that was, um, yeah, TJ who found that. Tazzing some DK64 stuff. And it was, yeah, really good when that was found because... You know, most of them can be obsoleted by orange clips, but as I said, it it brought the times on Virtual Console down heaps. Well, you say obsoleted by orange clips, but the funny thing is that in most scenarios, it's actually faster to face walk, because not only do you have more room for oranges if you face walk, because you skip burning up to potentially four oranges, it's also the fact that it's just a faster thing to execute. So, funny enough, face walking is uh, like it's used in a lot of places instead of orange clipping, and saves a big bunch of time because it it's faster and also doesn't burn through oranges. Yeah, obsolete might have been the wrong word there, but um, yeah, you know, it it's very clean to look at in the Taz for sure, and um, it's it's another thing that the Taz can do so cleanly, but. Pulling off a phase walk RTA is a really big deal, so they tend to only do it when they have to, not to save, like, two seconds or something. So should we move on to talking about MMM, or main menu, main menu moves, main menu modes? I forget what it stands for. <laughs> Matt Monster Mansion? <laughs> oh, no. No one likes explaining <laughs> MMM. ISG, <laughs> ISG and explaining ISG and MMM is one of the hardest parts about being a DK64 runner. It's it's not an easy trick. And this is the trick I alluded to earlier, um, the whole five-minute timer thing. Basically, in the main menu, if you have two fairies, you can watch the intro story. The intro story is about a five-and-a-half-minute cutscene, and it shows the story of the game. It's actually not that interesting. But... If you cancel it up the right small little window right after it starts, you get in a very weird mode called the intro story glitch. Name that because at the time, OOT was big and ISG, ha ha ha, get it? It's the same thing. But um, anyways, once you start intro story glitch, you activate that weird effect that I talked about earlier where like passing through loading zones can pull you back into the intro story and all that stuff. And that's really the big thing is that... um. There's some music glitches, there's some weird things, but the key thing here is if you trigger a cutscene at the wrong time, you will get pulled into the intro story. And what that means is when the intro story is done, you will end up where the game would start in DK's house. So the key inside of main menu moves, or main menu mode, honestly both are used interchangeably, 
Um, Mad Monster Mansion actually is used sometimes. <laughs> 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 but um, the key insight here is that you don't necessarily have to be in the game to trigger cutscene. And if you trigger a cutscene in the main menu, which you do just by idling for a bit and just random things happen in the background, you can take into an adventure file some pretty weird effects. For example, you take in the inability to pause, which not particularly useful. Inability to save, also not particularly useful. But you do take some critical properties. For example, any moves you have. And you may think, okay, if you're on the main menu, what moves do you have? Well, actually, you get a few. In the little uh, gameplay demos before the game starts, where you, like, for instance, watch Diddy in the minecart, you can actually pick up a move or two because they had a move or two in those demos. And if you enter a boss fight, well, in the mystery menu, basically in the boss replay menu, well, they have to give you moves for these boss fights, so obviously you're going to get some moves there. And some of the arenas, like the Rambi uh, minigame, also will give you almost all the moves. And so, suddenly, you get pulled into your file with a bunch of moves you didn't have before. And at first, you may think, great, I don't have to buy the moves from Cranky. That's going to save some time. Well, okay, cool. It also saves the time collecting the coins for that. It also saves the time clearing all the training barrels, which you need to do in order to start buying moves from Cranky. And, oh yeah, if you already have the moves, you can beat K. Rule, so you don't actually have to bother unlocking all these other Kongs. So, suddenly, instead of the run being about, I gotta free all the Kongs, unlock K. Rule, and beat K. Rule, it's just, I need to do this glitch called MMM, unlock K. Rule, and beat K. Rule. And because of the structure of MMM and that five minutes free time where you can wait before, uh, the five minute mark where if you're on the main menu you get pulled into the game you can actually make progress during that time so really that the extra time of mmm isn't that much so it's basically just unlock k rule bk rule and it cuts out a huge phase of the run and you can see that because the time's reduced by about a third so it's a critical glitch for any percent and it's also of course using nle and it was banned in 101 percent because of some side effects of it that kind of go counter uh, to the spirit of 101%. But it's such a potent glitch, and it's just used in almost everything these days. Yeah, not only just MMM, but ISG has so many other effects as well. Um, for those familiar with the old Five Kong rounds, you know, Funky Weapons glitch was from ISG as well, and, you know, MMM is just a bigger better version of something like that well that's how i look at it anyway even though it's really different under the hood isg is just such a broken thing in dk64 there's a lot you can do with it and one of the more potent things is a rom cutscene which essentially allows you to pull up a cutscene in a map which you shouldn't be able to pull up so it's quite interesting because it has a lot of uses and for instance, one of the uses you can uh, do with it is uh, you can open Aztec without ever getting key one. Um, you can get the banana, which is awarded to you once you get all 20 fairies, without getting all 20 fairies. Um, there's a funny thing with that banana as well, where normally if you try to get to that banana early, um, <laughs> the banana disappears and becomes intangible as soon as you get near it. 
but with intro story glitch it just allows you to uh collect that uh, banana early and it doesn't do the uh little check i think one of the more famous weird applications is with the wrong cutscenes is the one you can get in dk's house that is related to the ice key from banjo kazooie oh yeah that one as well <laughs> but yeah you can you know, pull out the wrong cutscene that shows where the fridge was in the beta and then warps you to crystal caves i think it was like the original intended purposes you're in crystal caves and it shows you that cutscene in dk's house then it goes back to crystal caves or something like that there's a lot of weird things with that room that it was meant to take you into crystal caves um there's a bunch of enemies in that room which the spawners for those enemies are inactive for some reason and they're just not in the game whatsoever and so <laughs> we're not sure why that is a thing uh there's also a cutscene in that room which leads on to the ice key cutscene you were talking about uh and you get warped to that cutscene and that's not accessible at all in the real game and that room is just a complete mystery, and <laughs> there's a lot of things we don't know about it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, as you were talking about with wrong cutscene stuff, there's lot lots you can do in you know a few wrong warps and stuff. That kind of leads us into uh, something called K rule early. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So yeah, again, Xcord is one of the bigger glitch hunters for DK64. And I think it was back in 2013 or 2014 where he was on, I think, Project 64 or something like that. And he was messing with a trick called Flashback Warp, which allows you to uh, inherit a property called the Parent Map and bring it into other scenarios. And it allows you to warp to other locations. And it also allows you to warp to different versions of the same map. So... One of the th funny things is that all the Troffenskoffs in the game, Troffenskoff is the place where you access all the boss fights, they're all the same map, and the only thing which changes them is uh, what's known as the parent map. So if you're in Angry Aztec, for example, the parent map would be Angry Aztec, whereas if you're in Creepy Castle, you're in the parent map's going to be Creepy Castle. But if you have your parent map as DK Isles, then you'll be taken to Isles Troffenskoff. And Isles Troffenskoff is just really weird. Because um, when Xcore found this, on third-party emulators, there's nothing wrong. You can actually go through the boss door and it takes you to K Rule, which is just part of the oddities with uh, parent maps and Troffenskoff. But when we tested it on N64, it crashes the game as soon as you try to enter. And we don't know why. And to this day, we still don't know why uh, it crashed it again. And so then in 2015, when the Wii U Virtual Console version gets released, uh, the immediate question is, let's try out all the things that shoot to crash the game and see whether it crashes the game on VC. And so I think it was Kiwi who tested out K-Rule early on VC. And the weird thing is that the room actually loaded, so you can actually access Isles Troffenskoff on VC. But the weird property is that for some unknown reason, there's just a bunch of void out spots and invisible walls. Um, void out spots are just essentially areas which, if you hit them, they warp you back to the start of the level. Um, so 
there's just a bunch of these spots and the idea was simple we have this version which can load ours trap and scoff which is counters an official version of the game and we've got all these barriers essentially blocking us from accessing the boss door let's try and access k rule on virtual console and for the longest time it was deemed as probably impossible because by going through the boss door uh, you actually hit a void out spot midway through the transition and it becomes unlikely until uh, when I got my hands on VC, it, I just messed around with it for a while. And it turns out that for some unknown reason, there's an invisible floor at the back of Isles Truffenscuff, which you can fall on. And then once you fall on that uh, floor spot, you can go around back to the front of Truffenscuff, still out of bounds, and just walk through the door as normal. And because you're low enough, the void out spots just do not take effect. And that's just K-Rule early. You somehow <laughs> manage to go around and it just works. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that it is stupidly precise. There are so many invisible uh, void out spots so close to where you're working uh, with. And the one with uh, without a uh, state called Shrunky Kong. It literally requires frame-perfect movements in order to not hit void-out spots, but also get lower down in the uh, Trough and Scoff map. So did you have, like, emulator tools and stuff that you could use to see where all these void-out spots were, or did you just have to really trial and error it? It was a lot of trial and error. The only amount of, like, there's two emulation tools that VC has that I was able to use, one of them is it has the save state function, and I can tell you now, after using BizHawk for the past two years, and then having to work with VC save state function, you become so thankful of BizHawk's 10 save states and instant reloading of those save states. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing is that uh, VC has this weird function where you can pause buffer the menu which essentially allows you to frame advance and can be really useful in terms of glitch hunting if you need to pull off a frame perfect move. And so uh, that became really useful for discovering the uh, shrunky loss method of uh, K rule early. Cool. So we can get into K rule early. So uh, why didn't this make the any percent time plummet down to really low? So. The unfortunate thing with the way you get to K rule is that, or K rule early, I should say, is that you use a trick called flashback warp. And flashback warp requires uh, ISG, which was what we were mentioning earlier. But something which also plummets the any percent time down, as uh, Ringrush was explaining, was main menu mode, which also requires ISG. But you can't combine the two into one. Not that we know of as of quite yet because you only get one intro story glitch and at the end of both of them you use it up and you have to just do with whatever you have and you can't go back into the menu to get intro story glitch again without essentially losing all the effects you uh, gained up. So yeah, <laughs> both of them are not compatible with each other uh, but thankfully Ringrush has been working on a method of getting flashback warp without ISG but there are a few problems with it that uh, Rush can probably go into more detail about. 
Yeah, I created a video on this. It was very clickbaity, but um, it was, I think it was flashback warp and any percent game changer. The the answer is no. The way parent maps are stored is normally with ISG, you enter a sub map and you use the fade out from intro story to warp you out of the sub map while still keeping that parent map. That's how we do this in the first place. Turns out that a uh, parent map is set way before you actually enter the submap. It's set as soon as you start the fade out into the submap. So what you can actually do is, if we have, say, a bonus barrel, you can hit the bonus barrel. It, it'll uh, trigger the parent map to be set. Then hit a loading zone elsewhere such that you don't transition into the bonus game, but instead transition to somewhere else. And if you do that, then, okay, you have this parent map set. You can go to Trophenskopf, you can do K-Roll early, all fine. The thing is, when you're fading out into a bonus barrel, you don't actually have control of the game. <laughs> like, the game doesn't really accept any inputs. So it's not really easy to hit a loading zone in that state. However, um, an orange, if you can get an orange to hit you, um, the explosion from that can actually knock you. And in one specific place in the game that we found so far, you can actually use that orange explosion to knock you into a loading zone. And what do you know? It happens to be DK Isles. And great. So there's a trick involved where you set a high stored position using a tag barrel storage. So then you had another application of that trick. You throw an orange from the ceiling. You jump into the tag barrel. The, the oranges hit you and blast you into the loading zone to leave the area. So great. We did it. ISG is flashback warp. K roll early. Time for time save. Obviously, there's a problem. The problem is, if you've been listening so far, <laughs> orange lag is an N64 thing. K-Rule Early crashes on N64. It only works on VC. So the lag that you need to get blasted into the loading zone right now um, from this barrel to get you the extra speed doesn't work on VC. So on N64, we can set this trick up. On VC, we can finish the trick, but we can't actually do it in a working route on any version. So we're stuck in this weird middle ground where, great, we can get ISGless flashback warp on N64, but that's not going to do anything for us because that version can't actually get the payoff. Wow. <laughs> Can't you, like, just throw, like, all 20 of your oranges on VC and hope that it lags enough? The game caps it at four, unfortunately. You can't have more than four active at one time. Dang. Could you, like, clone boulders in the room or something stupid like that? I guess you'd need Chunky for that, wouldn't you? Yeah, one, you would need Chunky. Two, no, you can't. Um, there are shenanigans you can maybe do with the boulder, but nothing working so far. In order to test this stuff, I've basically just been using BizHawk, again, for the N64 version, but manually setting the lag speed increase just to zero, or it's actually one, but making it so the lag does not actually increase your speed at all. Um, if you actually had to get a lag on VC to get this to work, testing this would be an absolute nightmare, because you lose all your TAS tools. Because you actually have to be on an actual virtual console as opposed to just setting lag to zero. So where is that tag barrel in DK Isles? What bonus barrel? It's um by Snide's HQ. 
So below the entrance to Frantic Factory is a little room with snide. There's a there is a boulder in there. Um, there's a crown pad. There's a uh, barrel that you spring up to, Simeon spring up to, and inside is Batty Barrel Bandit. And yep, that's the one. You could also potentially do it from the crown pad or the snide's HQ. Even all those work for sub maps, but it's just even harder from there. So. And so you can get the orange hit on VC, but you wouldn't have enough speed from the lag to make it into the loading zone or whatever. Exactly. So you, you, you get knocked towards the loading zone, but you're, I think, six frames of movement too short of hitting it. Oh, man, that's so rough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's often really hard to reduce lag in games, but I've had one or two where I've had to create a lot of lag, and DK64 is one of them. It's surprisingly hard. You never know. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe someday. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we're debating... Like, it was something that I brought up to Ring Rush, like, several months ago. And in all honesty, I don't think it's even really a serious lead. But it's possible because PAL has different uh, values for speed and stuff like that. It's possible that maybe PAL can potentially eke out those six frames. Although I highly doubt it. Because they're both scaled directly on both vertical uh, velocity and a horizontal velocity. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. But then you'd lose phase walking. You would also, the bigger time loss is the fact that you lose, I think it's 40 seconds to K rule. Because PAL just lags that much and boss fights are just horribly slow in PAL. <laughs> ah. I thought it would be less laggy because it's like a lower frame rate That's weird. Uh, the k rule world record on vc for us version i believe is an 11 25 the k rule world record whilst nowhere near as optimized it's still relatively optimized for pal vc is 13 minutes and 10 seconds oh dear so you're talking about <laughs> i said 40 seconds is probably actually closer to one minute 40 for difference between pal and uh us so what is that is it actually lag or is it other version differency things it's the fact that pal some pal it's 25 frames per second but on us and gp it's uh 30 frames a second so the way that boss fights and just random ai work is that every movement is calculated on a frame by frame basis so let's say you lag the game a bunch then the frames are going to be less frequent every second. So it's going to be like, I don't know, 10 frames a second or something like that. And therefore, you're going to get less updates on the boss every like every second. It's only going to occur 10 times a second rather than 30 times a second. So therefore, what would normally take a second if you had a lag situation on US uh, will take 3 seconds if you have your game running at 10 frames per second. So, because PAL is running at 25 frames per second and US is running at 30, it takes around about 1.2 times as long on PAL to do stuff. And because K Rule is a 12 minute boss fight by default, it results in quite a lot of time loss. So, uh, on PAL, they compensate for the frame rate in things like DK's movement and stuff, but. For something like K rules, movement and cycles, they don't. Is that right? Yeah, so on PAL, they scaled movement correctly, but in terms of cutscenes, 
menu movement, AI. Um, there's probably some stuff that I'm forgetting, but those kinds of things aren't scaled. So uh, as a result, you'll be taking 1.2 times as long to perform those actions uh, compared to US. And uh, how much time do you reckon K. Early could save if he could get it with like the Snide's flashback warp thing on RTA VC? Ring Rush would have a better idea of that. It's something I've thought about at some point. I, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. I want to say, I'm just thinking off the top of my head right now, MMM is still going to take 5 minutes because you still want to get all the moves. K. Rule is still going to take, let's say, like 10 or 11 minutes. So that's already like 16 minutes of time plus the time it takes to actually execute the trick. Like, I think at best you're saving 4 minutes or something like that. That's still pretty good in like a 25 minute run mm -hmm. yeah so i think that's all the tricks that we had to talk about unless you want to talk about corruption or ultra lag corruption is a meme glitch <laughs> it's it's it, it's wonderful and I, I i really hope that one day it gets the best glitch of all time that saves five hours for one and one but it's unlikely. It's heavily prone to crashing, and uh, like everything that results from it, uh, is unfortunately doesn't return great results when you uh, apply it to sequence breaking. Yeah, the one point I see for corruption, which basically the way corruption works is you get over sixty-four objects, and uh, the game starts handling things very badly, including like projecting your Kong's figure onto the environment and things like that. Like, so you can be, like, shooting copies of yourself. So it's really cool to look at, but it's ultimately not that useful. Uh, the one nice thing about it is lag, is there's a specific method called feather corruption, where Tiny shoots lots and lots of feathers into the wall, and they stick around, and they take a while to despawn. And using that, you can get actually a nice amount of lag. So if it's going to be useful, it'll probably from, be from that. There was one promising moment where we thought, okay, maybe it is going to be useful. You can get corruption in various boss fights, and one of them is Magjack. And because of the way that corruption is dealt with in terms of enemies and stuff like that, it causes Magjack to complete his phase jumps in a matter of seconds. Literally, I think it's like a second or two compared to probably around about 20 or 30 seconds worth uh, without corruption uh, the unfortunate downside of it is one it takes unfortunately very long to set up corruption in magic because you have to fall off the edge 60 times and do a specific long jump at a specific time and so as you can imagine falling off the edge 60 times takes a little bit of time to do and then even if we found a really fast method to do that after all the really fast jumps that Magjack does, he just goes into his box and literally does nothing, and you can't fix that at all. You have to exit the boss fight. Yeah, hopefully it ends up working somehow. Uh, like, I know you don't have Tiny in any percent, but do you reckon you could use the corruption lag to get that K rule early on VC? It's been thought about, but the location of it, it, it maybe it'll work, it won't be faster. Yeah, that's the. All right. Did you guys want to cover ultra lag? Um, I don't think it's really useful in that many tasks. It's been useful in terms of proving some stuff works, and it's obviously useful in a 
relatively meme category called uh, Solar Kick, where you access Hideout Helm by building up a lot of lag with a boulder and then moon kicking from the top of uh, DK's head all the way over to K. Rule's uh, ship. So it's interesting in that fact. But the way it works uh, is that if you hold an unloaded boulder and just wait for a while, uh, it builds up collisions. So the game performs a check to make sure that all the collisions are being resolved. And after the check is done, it just clears that essentially. It clears the section of memory that was performing that check. But if you like holding an unloaded boulder, those checks never get cleared. But it still acts as, okay, we need to check again. And so each check takes a 32-byte uh, section of memory. And so if you do, like, a 1,000 checks, you're talking about 32,000 bytes of memory suddenly uh, taken up with all these checks. And obviously, uh, for anyone who knows about memory and stuff like that, 32,000 bytes of memory... Uh, is immediately going to cause some uh, lag problems. So that's the short of how it works. The, the long of how it works is you can get the game to go to a complete laggy standstill for several minutes long. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's pretty incredible in that sense. You can imagine you can cover the entire length of any map in one frame. If you have, if you can get ultra lag in that map, so it's pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, I remember trying it on console, and there were several times where I thought I'd crashed it, but it was just you know a lag spike for several tens of seconds. The funny thing which you can do: so if you exit Helm whilst the blastmatic is off, um, so if you exit it back into Helm lobby, the blastmatic timer stays at the bottom of your screen because it just never turns it off. And so if you get ultra lag and then reactivate that lag right as you're about to hit zero 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 on a helm timer, you get a massive lag spike and you can actually get a negative helm uh, clock. It unfortunately <laughs> immediately uh, clears away and puts you into game over. But for like a second, you can see that like, you know, there's negative 16 seconds on your helm timer. Uh, it's so funny that they programmed it like that. Well, with that, I think we've covered pretty much all the glitches, unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about. I just want to say, we will never cover all the glitches. There are so many <laughs> glitches in this game. Like, even whole categories of glitches we haven't even talked about, like skew, or wrong grab, or um, a wide variety of things of that ilk, and uh, pause cancel, like... There's a lot of stuff in this game. There's a lot of stuff. If you're interested in this stuff, you should come to the DK64 Discord and just look at the vast amount of things we have piled up in the documentation channel. For sure, yeah. Um, perhaps I should have said all the glitches on this list that we have, <laughs> this very short list that we have here. But yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully that's a brief overview. But yeah, like for example, there's a whole YouTube channel that's just showing off glitches associated with ISG or... You know, like Ring Rush has got a whole channel on low A press challenge and you know, heaps of people in community documenting stuff. It's really amazing. I've spent so much time looking at this game myself and I still know probably like one percent of all the glitches. <laughs> so there's a giant spreadsheet of what we feel like is every single glitch in DK sixty four that has ever been discovered, to our knowledge. And even then 
the fact that there is potentially other glitches out there that we have never found because it's in some tiny corner of the internet is highly likely <laughs> we like basically we went to like just searched up dk64 glitch on youtube put in every single uh, return and went to some like some of the main runners twitches and stuff like that and returned uh, the results from that and even then i'm sure that there's going to be thousands of glitches we missed and even if we did get all those glitches, there's going to be thousands more discovered probably in the next two years or something like that, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah, and of the ones you don't haven't discovered, like how many of them combine to make even more glitches of the ones you know about as well? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think one of the most exciting, like most in- insane demonstrations of this is the trick Aztec early, which is... um which is a way to basically glitch into a level early. Um, a lot of people have trouble with it. They want to know what the method is. There's over 30 methods now using so many different varieties of tricks, from ultra lag to skew to pause cancel to dropping a boulder onto another boulder and stacking that up to a nice height and then moon kicking to infinite pause jumping to... It just is absurd how many things there are. So never count out a different way to do things in DK. Hmm. There's a funny video as well. I think it was Asatachi who did it uh, called Slope from Japes. And there's just like this one slippery slope and it shows 30 ways to climb it or something like that. Yeah, it's just yeah crazy. You could never catch them all, but I'm always very impressed at how uh, the DK64 community documents everything very well. And yeah, such a complicated game. <laughs> I mean, it's literally been proven time and time again that even the smallest of things, like there was a glitch that I found, I think it was back in 2016, called Portal Storage, and it was literally just me messing around with uh, emulation and uh, script talk and stuff like that, and finding that, hey, if you use the canon game uh, in Gloomy Galleon, you can go through the portal, or the DK portal, and it won't immediately take you out, and you can go elsewhere. And then you can, uh, once you reload the area with the DK portal, it immediately just takes you back to Gloomy Galleon Lobby. So from that standpoint, it was a really pointless glitch. Because, I mean, maybe it would have saved like one or two seconds in a task, but it's not really well known. Come two years later, and we have a potential theory on how to make Creeper Castle Lobby early work, and we're like, well, how, like, we need one final piece in the puzzle. And the, even though it was a really small glitch, like, portal storage just solved that puzzle. So, even documenting the smallest thing can prove useful, like, years down the line or even months down the line. So, it's uh, really useful to just document everything that you find. Yeah, definitely. And I'll have, yeah, links to DK64 Discord, and that has a link to, a lot of the documentation, doesn't it? Yeah, there's in the documentation channel, there's a whole bunch of documentation dating to back when the server was created, and there is a link to a spreadsheet, which I haven't updated in a while because I've been busy, but uh, this is a spreadsheet with all the glitches that we know of. Nice. So now that we've talked about some of the glitches in DK64, let's just quickly talk about how much time can be saved on the tasks that we have before we finish. So first of all, in 
101%. This is the oldest current low TAD slash TAS. So how low do you reckon 101% could go with all the new discoveries, Matt? Estimates vary, but I would say anywhere in the 415 to 425 range, it was, which is like 15, 25-minute improvement. Um, the biggest thing, people people say, oh, imagine how much this would be broken with phase walking. And while phase walking is a great trick to save like seconds here and there, the fact that we have orange clipping anywhere means it's ultimately not that big of a game breaker. What is a game breaker, though, is spawn snagging. And there are several golden bananas that take three to five minutes that we can suddenly get in less than a minute because we can just grab the gold banana without having to do, say, the rabbit race. And so that that's going to be a huge time saver when that's implemented, along with all kinds of new routes, new tricks everywhere. That should drop a lot. Mm. And um, so it's like a 4.30ish now? 4.40, isn't it? 4.40ish, I think. It's been a while. Uh, I think it's 4.42. Yeah, that sounds right. 4.42. Yeah, because I was going to say, I thought it was like 4.30 flat, and I was thinking, say it's more than 15 minutes, right? But yeah, 4.15 to 4.25. I would love to see it go sub 2E, 100%. (laughs) That'd be good. I mean, that would be 2E RTA, of course. But, you know, it would be funny to see, because DK64 has been the, you know, weirdly long rare in 64 game for a really long time. And now it's just getting insanely fast. It's what happens when a game just becomes insanely broken. Like, a lot of skips get found, and you can skip hours and hours of the game with just one simple trick. Mm, definitely. And so, any percent as well, I think, actually, I forgot to discuss kind of what goes into any percent. Just, I'm sure a lot of, like, listeners, if they're familiar with DK64, know vaguely what go into this, but... Pretty much you want to get to K rule with all the Kongs having all the moves. So we talked about MMM giving you all the moves so you don't need to go and unlock Kongs to unlock moves before K rule. But to unlock K rule, you need key three and key eight. Mm-hmm. And then if you've got those, you turn those in and then that triggers the K rule ship to spawn. You go in there. It's about 25 minutes now for RTA. Uh, the reason you only need key three and key eight is because you know, key one, two, four, five, six, seven unlock levels. So they thought, well, you would have needed to get those keys anyway, so we won't check for them. Anyway, <laughs> leading on from that, so the any percent has um came out a little while ago before phase walking was found. Uh how much time do you reckon could be saved now with the new uh tricks that have been found during rush? Yeah, so I think there's a few key parts here. One is phase walking is going to save a second here or there over clips um not every orange clip will be replaced because it's only as really useful if it, the wall is facing the right direction but it turns out a lot of walls are facing the right direction um <laughs> like most of the walls that we end up clipping are facing the right direction it just so happens but so that's going to save some some amount of seconds the five minute mmm route there is a small optimization we can do um where we hit an extra warp in factory that saves um small amount of time because uh, yeah it's it's not a major thing, but it is something you can do during that downtime. The other key thing about phase walking is it allows you to get a Mad Jack cutscene skip, which normally when you enter the fight, you then have to jump on a platform, it rises up, there's a 40 second cutscene where Mad Jack comes from the ceiling. But with phase walking, you can actually just clip out of the area, hit that void zone we talked about, warp back to the start of the level, and re-enter. 
And when you re-enter, the, the uh, long cutscene doesn't play, because it assumes you just died on the fight. Normally, you would just pause and exit, but again, during MMM, you can't pause. So that's, that's a nice little thing you can do with that. Um, and the reason you can orange clip there is because you can't throw oranges during that fight. So that's a cool little thing. Uh, if K. Rool Early ever gets found, then that will save a significant amount of time. Um, assuming we can get a VCTAS, or maybe if it starts working on N64, as we said, like, at most, maybe like four minutes. Realistically, probably less. And then finally, as with every TAS, there's going to be little optimization tricks. We haven't actually talked that much about TAS optimization tricks, but there's a few things that were found either late into that run or after that run was completed. Notably, uh, if you have your control stick in a neutral position, you actually decelerate a bit slower from some things. So it saves a frame or so, uh, maybe two, on every roll. So little, little bits here and there. That could probably add up. And that's about it. <laughs> There's really not that many other things that could be found. It'd be amazing if we could get key eight without oranges. Currently, we have to hit ourselves with an orange into key eight to skip the dance to skip a cutscene, because the cutscene doesn't play nicely with MMM. As we talked about, cutscenes can cause issues. So yeah, maybe if there was a way to skip that, we could save like 10 seconds or so uh, by skipping oranges altogether. But overall, the route is very set in stone, honestly. Hmm. With the... You were saying about the neutral stick in the role, has anyone tried to incorporate that into RTA, or is it too precise? It's not too precise, but I don't know if anyone's tried. It, it's It's also not that big of a time saver. There's a certain part of the roll you have to have a neutral stick, and then you have so many frames you need to hold forward after that again. So if you are too slow on that, you will lose time. But, yeah. I've tried doing it when doing RTA. <laughs> like, I tried like messing around with it, but I think my timing was just maybe perhaps a little bit off, and I just kept losing time from just trying to do a neutral stick and then just decelerating or not accelerating enough and yeah it reminds me a bit i'm not sure if you guys have seen but in the banjo kazooie taz how they climb the pole by ground pounding all the climbing poles the runners started trying to do that and then hyper was like don't do that it'll lose you time like 99 percent of the time yeah i mean i think there's a few other movement tricks like instant acceleration where you go back and then forwards to basically go to top speed that could be implemented into RTA because, like, they're precise, but not too precise. But in the end, these are things saving on the order of frames, and most people aren't motivated enough. This isn't SM64 or some game that's so optimized to the point where you need to risk basically running in the wrong direction in order to save a few frames. Yeah, not only that, but the thing I've always found about this game is it's... Not to say that it's not movement intensive but a lot of the time save comes from hitting all the glitches really quickly you can get a very good time just by doing that and not being great at movement and then the last two three minutes come off by getting really good at movement i'm not sure if you would agree oh no i, I would agree completely it, it's one of the thing that appeals to me with the game is that so much of your run is based on a uh, your glitch execution because there's just so many inconsistent glitches and you just gotta hit them all the fact that so much of your time is also based on Mad Jack Switch luck, not the greatest part. <laughs> but other than that, it's very uh, execution based. Oh, sorry, I'm very uh, yeah, trick execution based. Yeah, it's also great because like once you get good at the run, 
you can go, okay, I want to implement more tricks. And usually with some games like SM64, there's kind of a limit uh, until you get into like BLJs and stuff like that, where you can't really do much because like there's no more tricks left to learn. With DK64, even if you disregard the fact that every five seconds someone finds a new way to clip through a wall, there's also the fact that there's just so many endless time saves that you can do that you know like if you've got <laughs> if you've got the guts to do it like you can save potentially like 10 seconds if you just do something hmm yeah i swear like every time i go back and look at five kong there's always another orange clip done in aztec or something i'm sorry that's my fault <laughs> I, I was the runner who always tried to add more orange clips often to a fault but well you know it's faster why not because you lose a lot of runs um, <laughs> that's why not <laughs> i suppose um so yeah with any percent as you said you started from clean cartridge which is not a rule on taz videos but it's sort of kind of standard practice yeah it's a strong guideline to do clean cart and personally i think it makes more sense i've actually pushed for real time to go to clean cart and that failed miserably as you'd imagine, because nobody wants to delete all the times on the leaderboard. But I think clean cart makes a lot of sense. Um, I understand the logic, and I can argue for the logic behind starting with basically non-file and locks, but I think it makes sense for a speedrun to be defined as you get the game, you put it in, you beat the game as fast as possible. Yeah, I think this is somewhere where we might disagree a little bit. I think clean cart should always be a category. But I think there should also be categories that go, you know, as fast as possible from Dirty SRAM. Of course, you run into heaps of issues properly defining that, though. So I completely understand your view as well. Yeah, I think it's just a case-by-case basis. Because, I mean, in some cases, you're going to come across something where Dirty Cart really hinders it. So, like, with DK64, Clean Cart just becomes way more entertaining because you have to collect the fairies, you... Like there's more stuff to do during ISG and stuff like that. So in that case, a clean cart makes more sense. But for instance, if you take Banjo Tui, if you have a clean cart rule set, you essentially do the old any percent route where you don't use DCW or really in an effective way. <laughs> so you know, I think it's a, on a case by case basis. Sometimes it's gonna be better to use clean car. Sometimes it's not. And really just depends on the game why you think yeah i think that makes a lot of sense like for dk64 it doesn't change the route significantly and the things it does change are just extra content it's not like you're losing anything you're just adding a a bit more content to it for the most part so i think it's good but i can totally understand where like for banjo 2e is a very extreme where there's a glitch that only works dirty card i understand why they would do it yeah and you will sometimes get you know, memers coming in and going, oh, Ring Rush, why is your any percent has slower than RTA? Ooh, you know, whereas it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. is One is that even if there wasn't the clean card issue, RTA is on VC, which is saving several minutes. And TAS timing is different than RTA timing because of power on versus file selector, etc. So <laughs> it's, I'm not sure it would beat the real time by much, even if I didn't do that. Just because of, again, several minutes from these other things. Yeah, speaking of that, so it was like 26-ish, wasn't it, your 80% Taz? My it was twenty. it was mid-27, I think. Yeah, mid-27. So it would, it would be, it would probably be like a 22-something, maybe. 
without the uh, restrictions on clean cart. So it would be slightly faster, but you could you could definitely see um, at some point if the RTA continues to improve that it wouldn't be because losing several minutes is not great. <laughs> and so 22, if you were to basically do the RTA route that uses a yeah. non-clean cart. Exactly. So if you're on VC, that could come down to like, what, like a 19 or something maybe? Potentially, or 20 or something, yeah. So where's that time save coming from? Like that's a lot of time to save over RTA. The biggest save is Mad Jack. His switch locations are random, and to get them to spawn under you, you actually have to do some kind of very precise movement. You really, you probably save a, almost a minute there on real time, just in the Mad Jack fight alone. So that's pretty big. The other thing about it is just you can cram a bit more things into the ISG section, because basically a whole five minutes of the run, you get rid of all the difficulty and can just start throwing things in. You can enter factory lobby and then do bomb kick, which no real-time runner is going to dream of doing. So, at least not now. You also have the fact of that you could start the game from intro story with a dirty cart and task because there's a way to skip the key 8 dance, but it's not faster for a dirty cart because you need oranges for orange clipping. And it's... <laughs> Not entirely certain on whether it's faster or not, but regardless, you can start from essentially a clean file doing ISG, and that skips the whole initial section of the RTA run where you go do cranky, go do two training barrels to get the some of the necessary moves to beat the game, and then do OMM to get key 8. You can just go straight and do key 8. Is it difficult to know in advance what you'll be able to do in ISG or do you have to like TAS it in advance to see? You usually you have to TAS it or like do some kind of low TED of it and then assume you can be faster. That's my take on it. It's like I will do something and be like, okay, I could almost do this so therefore I can do it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and you mentioned with a uh, Mad Jack you had to do some precise movement to get the switches to spawn underneath you. Is that RNG manipulation, or are they literally trying to not spawn under you? They are trying to not spawn underneath you, and you can get them to spawn underneath you in RTA if you get what's called a slow jump, meaning your Mad Jack jumps slowly because you're not far enough ahead of him. But if you're getting only fast jumps, which of course TS is going to do, you want he needs to jump a certain amount of time, so you want to accelerate that as fast as much as possible. He will never spawn a switch that is on your platform or the platform next to you at the time of his last jump. So again, if you have a slow jump, then that can actually be like five seconds before he actually spawns the switch. But if you're doing a fast jump, that's usually only like a second or so before he spawns the switch. And so you need to be in the very diagonal corner in between the four platforms in a moon kick so that like the frame after he does the jump, you're already in the quadrant diagonal from you heading full speed towards the switch so you can pound it as soon as possible. Okay, so you don't get it to spawn under you, but you're moving towards a switch really quickly, kind of? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found that funny because I was running some Five Kong the other night for a bit of fun, and um, I think I had like two switches spawn under me or something, and I got really excited because I thought it wasn't supposed to happen. I guess I was just bad because I was getting slow jumps, so. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> most people are. Most people are. Especially with DK. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So that's sort of, yeah, any percent. So, Tom, how about NLE? Can that come down with new discoveries? Um, I mean, we have the trick that I mentioned earlier that uh, obsoleted the NLE load had. That can come down and can make the time come down a little bit because it essentially allows you to walk through uh, some walls without any resistance as lanky. Um, as long as you have a tag barrel nearby and uh, ability to use uh, Lanky's rank stand. Um, so that saves a bit of time. There's also a few discoveries that could potentially save time for Anali, especially some reroutes that have occurred since then, uh, such as putting Jape 2 before Galleon for Anali, which means that you don't have to do as many uh, Snipes turning into an early game. And also for Anali, <laughs> honestly, the biggest time save is just the fact that I was it was my first full game task and so as with everything, like just being better at tasking and knowing what time saves are there and not, um you're gonna save some time from that. How about max percent moveless? So I mean if you can get more stuff it might end up longer, but can it be improved? I mean, it's undoubtedly gonna be longer because since the low tad was made, you have one extra GB which it's not really going to take much longer. It's probably going to take like two or three minutes longer. And that's it. The lanky shooting the faces mini game in um, Llama Temple, where you have to shoot the 16 faces to get the sounds to match up. Uh, you can get that GB moveless now with some uh, a trick called Skew Levitation. But honestly, the thing which is going to bring up the time the most is the fact that you can get I think it's now 28 medals. It's something like that. It's 28 more medals moveless with usage of TBS. And that is definitely going to bring the time up, I would at least say, by 10 minutes. Um, because you have to go around collecting bananas. And in some cases, you're going to have to collect some bananas in some really awkward spots in order to save, like, to get the medal, you know? So is that like getting other Kong's bananas with TBS or something like that? Yeah, so the way it works is that you pick up a bunch and or you pick up a banana and as one Kong and then you tag and then it adds the total for that bunch to your newly tagged Kong. So you can let's say pick up DK's bunch on the warp three and japes, but you have tag barrel storage already, so before or just as you're picking up you tag Diddy and those five bunches or those five colour bananas sorry they go to Diddy rather than DK and so you essentially can get more on uh, Wong Kong which means that you can have more medals What kind of window is that on the tag? Like it's a tight time I, I, I believe it's it's not relatively it's not too tight I believe it's a few like Four frames, I think. Uh, Ringrush pro- probably be able to give a more accurate figure. I would not. <laughs> I don't. I don't know any frames. If I had to guess, it was like one or two, but maybe, maybe it's more than that. Actually, speaking of that wrong banana, colored banana grabbing glitch, wasn't there some kind of rule change partially three or one hundred one low tad Ringrush? I actually completely forgot about that, but yes. When I started the low tab, the 101% rules said 
basically you can only grab any gold banana or colored banana with the intended Kong. But at some point, almost near the end, there was a vote by the uh, Council of Congressmen. Um, with a K, of course. <laughs> and uh, and it was moved in order to be that any Kong can grab any banana or golden banana as long as you do grab them all. Cool. So how much time could you save with that? Minimal. I mean, there, there's one or two places it, it might be relevant, but it's it's not a super significant thing, I think. Yeah. Like, there's two places which it changed for RTA. Uh, you can get the mill GB, which is the GB, which is stuck behind the grate. Uh, you can get that as any Kong rather than DK. And then, more importantly, the seal race GB in uh, Gloomy Galleon. Uh, if you take non-DK Kongs into there, they can just blast through the wall and they can get to the GB a little bit quicker than DK. But also you have to go a little bit more out of your way to get to the tag browser, so maybe it won't save as much time. Alrighty, so I think we've covered pretty much all the current Tazzes and what could be improved on them, and I reckon that's all we have to cover about DK64. So, Matt or Ringrush, where can we find you? Um, Theoretically, you can find me on Twitter, though I'm not sure I've tweeted for a few months. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 I do have Twitter, I do have a Twitch, but I haven't, again, I haven't, I've barely streamed in the last few years. I think the biggest thing, if you want to see my most recent stuff, would be my YouTube channel. Um, both my YouTube channels, even one is just Ring Rush, and the other would be the uh, alternate channel, which I believe is in the description of low A press stuff. Nice. And are there any other Tazzes you would recommend people have a watch? Uh, the two that come to mind immediately are Mega Man and Bass, or Rockman and Forte, a hundred CDs, and. Mega Man won any percent. I, I, I'm not as particularly a Mega Man person, but both those TASs were just incredible to me. <laughs> I haven't seen that first one you mentioned, but yeah, Mega Man won any percent was really good, especially uh, when they showed it at AGDQ with the commentary and stuff. That was probably my favorite Taz block. It's truly an incredible run. And then, of course, SM64, blah, 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 but you guys know that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Alrighty. And Tom, uh, the Balam ninety six. Where can we find you? Um, so most of the stuff that I do, I either upload to my YouTube channel, uh, the Balam ninety six SRL, or I usually just tweet about on my Twitter, which is just TJ Balam. Um, and it's usually just, oh hey, yeah, you can just do this interesting thing in <laughs> lanky phase or something like that. Um, so yeah, and. One other thing is both of us, probably the best way to contact us is on Discord. We're both on, on Discord all the time, so. Yeah, and I'll try and link all the DK64-related Discord channels I can find in the show notes and description as well. And any Tazzes you'd recommend, Tom? Um, There's two which are work in progress right now. Uh, one... Which is the uh, new SM64 120 star TAS, which has been worked on. They did a reveal of a whip of it at uh, ESA, and it looks pretty cool. 
What? Um, <laughs> Why haven't I yeah, seen an, this? What? <laughs> <laughs> there's a new one 20 star task being worked on. Uh, oh, I knew that, but I didn't know. Oh my goodness. I know what I'm watching after this. <laughs> yeah, they showed a little bit of ESA. And then the second one is uh, the tie to GBA task that uh, Mittens SRL is currently working on. Uh, that one looks pretty cool. So yeah, I am helping him with that one. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Be sure to check it out when we're done. We're almost done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, you've been tasking Earthworm Jim a bit as well, haven't you, Tom? Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of tasking for that game. Uh, it's quite interesting. So instead of going through walls like DK. Most of the game revolves around just jumping over walls that uh, you normally shouldn't be able to go over. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time to have this chat. I know that it's not easy to coordinate an American, an Englishman, and an Australian to <laughs> have a conversation. Especially, um, Tom, I appreciate you staying up this late <laughs> and um, bring Rush for doing it after work. Uh, yeah, it's been a really interesting conversation. Um, I've learned a lot. And yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. I appreciate you taking the time. And thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>